begin with an apology. It's the worst way to start any class because um, I just found out I was speaking today, and while I normally uh, like to prepare more than just like a few hours to give you something meaningful, um, I asked Lini if I could have her notes, which are not very helpful because they're her ideas, and then my ideas are here. So if you want to read them, I'll send them to you. But mine are here. And before we begin, I just want to ask a couple of questions. First of all, good evening, everybody. Um, thank you for coming. Um, Passover is one of those things that kind of just sneaks up on you. You know it's coming. Um, you're, you have these little like, posts throughout the year, the reminders of Hanukkah, and then you have like Purim, and then you're like, oh my God, four weeks away is Pesach. I have enough time, I'm good. And then it's like two days before Pesach and you have nothing done and you have to rush to get everything done. And that's the theme for most Jewish holidays because we, we live in a world where we're so disconnected from time, right? We don't live in a world where time really matters. We, we come and go as we please. Nothing is really urgent. Everything really revolves around our own needs. <clears throat> um, and I think that's that, that whole concept of urgency we, we've lost just in the last hundred years, ever since the Industrial Revolution happened, uh, the one thing that really kind of changed everything for us was food. Like, it's always there. You know what you're like when you're hungry? Well, I don't know what you're like. I'll tell you what I'm like when I'm hungry. When I'm hungry, everything happens too slow, okay? Um, I'm impatient. I'm irritable. I'm unpleasant. Um, I need to be fed immediately, okay? And, there's, and if there's anything in my way, it has to be pushed away because I need to eat now. See, that sense of urgency comes from a basic uh, pre-programmed um, uh, element in our software or our wetware, right, um, that says if you don't eat a certain amount of calories a day, you're going to have a deficit. And we don't want you to have a deficit. The software wants to ensure that you're going to have a surplus. Uh, you're going to have all the energy you need to survive. Because if you don't have those calories today, the odds are you're not going to find them tomorrow, which means you're more likely going to have a, even a greater deficit the following day. So the whole system was developed and designed to ensure that you have food so that you don't die. But when you live in a world where there's always a surplus of calories and there's never, never, never an issue of finding those calories, who cares about time? But when you lived in a world where you went out and you had to farm and you had to go out and get the grain and you had to milk the cow and you had to spend the whole entire day preparing for your food, um, it radically changes the way you think about uh, every single minute of your day because you're not sure what's going to happen, what's going to get in your way, what's going to prevent you from uh, getting your calories. But um, we live in, a, again, we live in a very different world. We have so much surplus of food, we don't think about time the same way. So I really blame it on food. So um, if you feel like, you know, uh, you are somewhat, you know, lazy, um, you're not as disciplined on time, you want to move to a place where it's harder to get food, and I promise you all that will change right away. Food is a great way of uh, ensuring that you get to do what's right. Now, it's interesting because everything that we do as Jews, we just eat all the time. Like, it's like nonstop. Passover is a great example of that. You're just eating nonstop. As a matter of fact, we actually have kind of the whole entire discussion today is going to be about food, right? Like the different foods we eat and why we eat them and why we do them and so on and so forth. It's so interesting. We create an order for it and so on and so You know, we, we talk about food all the time. We're obsessed with food. We love food. We need food. I dream about food sometimes even. Let me just turn this off. Um, so what are we trying to accomplish in Passover, aside from uh, you know, increasing the carbohydrates we take in with matzah, 
what are we trying to do on uh, Passover? What are we trying to, what's the focus? What are some key themes that you think about Passover that comes to mind? Give me some adjectives. What do you think about when you think about Passover? Not all at once. Freedom. Freedom. Redemption. Redemption. What else? Hi. Good. What else? Freedom, redemption. What's that? The affliction of our forefathers. Okay, it's back to freedom and redemption. Okay, the truth is that if you could summarize the whole entire Passover, it's freedom and redemption. Okay? Now, what is redemption? What does it mean to be redeemed? Anyone? Anyone give me an example of redemption? To be incarcerated? To be, to be free. Okay. So it's, what is freedom? The ability to say no. I like that. Oh. You are free to say no. Okay, good answer. I'm going to um, give you guys five minutes. We're going to play the freedom game. You ever play the freedom game? Great. Okay, I don't. I didn't make that many sheets. You're going to break up to groups of two. Okay. I'm going to do this. You have five minutes to figure it out. You have less than five minutes. I'll give you a couple. I'll try, I'll try this for two of you.
that number was it number four is the most free number two is the most free no, I said one number, number one was one the most free, free. Oh. or yeah does anyone agree that number one was the most free of the list of seven no. we agree yeah, we you agree yeah. okay why did you guys agree for the same, same reason, reason. No. okay well, just explain your reason again but it wasn't all of the other ones had a lot of mental struggle all of the other options had a lot of mental struggle right. and this one just seemed to be like okay so they tell me what to do and where to go but like he wasn't conf conflicted at all. We're just like, okay, I'll do it, I'll go. That's just how we rationalized it. Okay. Yeah, like, yeah, freedom of mind. Yeah. Did you guys agree? All I, all I well, we accomplished is, um, like, categorizing the freedoms. Okay. So, like, I saw it as um, situational enslavement, like, okay. like something that's, like, a product of, like, a situation you're in. Mm -hmm. Like, locational, like, actually, mm -hmm. like, physically where you're located, and then, like, mentally enslaved. Or, like... In the, in, the, in the case of like an addiction, like biologically, it's enslaved. So who was more who was more enslaved? That I don't. Who was most free? But she, well, I mean. What's your name? Nicole. Hi, Nicole. Based on the way that they're set up, I mean, I I thought that number two, the shipwrecked person, was the most free because mm -hmm. they can do anything they want, and they even say there's nothing to do. So like, it's really choose. just that recognition of like, you can do anything, so do something. And I saw I see it as like. Freedom is having an ability, yeah, we talked about the ability to choose. And he has plenty of choice around. Okay. Everyone agree with her as far as the most free? The shipwreck guy is the most free? Uh, 
What did you guys choose? Did you guys come to a conclusion? What's your name? Rebecca. Hi, Rebecca. I think I was going to raise my hand for that, but we didn't. You didn't? No, no consensus yet? Just say what you think. I was going to agree with yeah. Okay. Does everyone else agree? Do you guys agree? Shipwreck, most free? Okay, why not? We think number four is the most free. I think number four is the most free. I actually like what somebody said about the physical freedom and the mental freedom. Yeah. But if you use that even, I still think number four is the most free because that person's just comparing their life today as to what it was before. Nothing's actually inhibited in their life, not mentally or physically. But he's living in the past, so he is so, enslaved by the past. So he I can't, like, release the past and live in the future and live in the moment, live in the present. Sorry, not live in the future. So he's enslaved by himself living in the past. Okay, let me ask you the real question. Okay, go ahead. I think freedom <laughs> is when, when you... Um, have the chance to see what what it's like to have like when you have something taken away from your life then you know what freedom could be like or what is freedom so when I have when I when I don't have my leg anymore and then I start walking without one leg I know what it was like to have both my legs so I know now I know what the freedom could be like if that makes sense but then are you still free just because you know what it could be like I know how to <laughs> deal with my choices. But then, would you say you're more like enslaved because you know what freedom is like, and yeah. now you're constantly thinking about that, and you know what you could be happy with or not, as opposed to someone who doesn't even like is happy with their lot because they don't know anything better, anything different. Let me ask you. Let me ask you another question, okay? Um, is anyone ever truly free? No. Because no, we have Hashem. And therefore, what? Well, you're, you said, therefore, yeah. we have a chef, so yeah. Well, I think that... Explain yourself, woman. I think that once you, once you kind of believe in the sense of Hashem and believe in the Torah and believe in this whole thing we call Judaism, I, I for me personally, I think I, I chose to be... Enslaved, that's I was waiting for you to get there. But I chose to be a servant to God, so okay, I you lost chose. my ability. I lost my ability to say mm. yes to things that I would necessarily want to say. Yes what, what's to your me. name? Natasha. Natasha. Like I think my moral compass was chosen for me, but I chose to do that. So in a sense, like being about you, though, and people say, "Well, you don't have any choice. You're just doing what you're told." Yes, that's true, but I chose to be that way. I could choose to not follow my, my Judaism and follow my path, but I chose that. If you chose not to, that make you more free? No, it would make me a slave to society and everyone else. So is freedom something that really exists? Your lap? Yeah. Like, what's the lap? I have no idea. Okay, so people think <laughs> what is it? If you stand up, does your lap exist? No. It does. What? what? It's just... Your lap. Oh, my lap. Uh, you can't use it as oh. a lap. Yeah. It doesn't exist. So it's like a folding chair. When it's folded, it doesn't exist? <laughs> oh, that's so deep. Oh, man, that changes everything for me. Okay. Yeah, so it's the same kind of thing. When you have a black and white situation, you can define freedom. But in the like sense of, does freedom exist in life? 
it can't be defined. Okay, let's second. Let's pa- let's pause for a second. Okay, I'm getting confused. What about the other way? Who is more enslaved? Who's most enslaved? Yeah. We chose number seven okay. as being the most enslaved. What's Probably, your name? Sorry, we chose number three. What's your name? Alyssa. Alyssa. Okay. Why number three? Um, they're like a slave to their addiction, mm-hmm. and they also, I feel like they have all this money, so there's no really way out for them. Like, it's not like they're struggling to get drugs another day, or they're struggling for anything just to get the high, so they're enslaved to the kind of, like, their lifestyle, and it sucks. Yeah, yeah that's a lot of fun. But anyway, but, but it's, it's, I'm just joking. Anyway, I mean, that's a terrible joke. I'm actually a drug. I'm actually a drug counselor. I I do therapy. I have like my case act. So, so I just be, I just, I'm just I'm just very desensitized. Anyway, um, um, anyone everyone agree with her? No. Number seven was our next choice. Okay, who did not agree? Why? I think number seven. No. Okay. Why? Okay. Is it, why is yours more of a? Uh, in slavery. Why is number seven more enslaved than number three? I think the enslavement is the inability to do what it is you want to do in the moment. So not that's why I chose the other one as being the most free, because they were the they had the ability to do whatever it is that they wanted to do in the moment. Whereas, you know, for instance, the athlete or the whatever they were thinking about their past. It wasn't about the now. And so the person who wants to commit suicide right now does not have the ability to do that, and therefore they're not free. Um, if, I think, if I think about it from a sense of freedom is when, hold on, oh, if you think about it is that it's worse to think that you're free and actually not be than to know that you're not free and not be. And if, if it's worse to think that you're free when you're really not, then I'd say that the heroin addict is the worst um, situation. But um, but I also think that six um, is the worst because um, he is not only his body can't do what it wants to do, and his mind can't do anything. You take for example someone like um, Stephen Hawking; he's completely paralyzed, but he, but he is totally free to use his mind and. And, and make great scientific discoveries and do whatever he wants to do. But this guy, all he thinks about is what he used to be able to do. He's not moving forward. He's stuck in the past, and his body doesn't work. So in that sense, that's the worst. Okay. Anyone else want to add? Yeah. I would say for number seven, though, that um, when I first read it, like my immediate thought was is that the person wants to make a decision, which most people would obviously think is um, a horrible one, obviously, but um, that they were caught... Well, in the pursuit of something they wanted to fulfill and then they were also told basically that this is wrong which again society would think it morally and so on but they're uh, then institutionalized as a result so they were stopped and then in prison so to speak and, and they're confined so they can't pursue and they obviously have something I guess I don't say you know mentally wrong but there's something that to drive someone to, to even think such a thing and to, of course to attempt to pursue you good. Want to add anything? It's a little, like, teacher. Like, it's connected to these athletes and questions. You're jumping forward? Yeah, wait. Okay. Do you, okay. Do you want to? Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, 
I'm kind of like confused now. Good. Confused, but all I can think about is that going back to what you were like saying me before is mm-hmm. that Pesach is like this holiday of freedom, and mm-hmm. the whole point is that we're like trying to talk to talk about freedom. But isn't it like I don't know if ironic is the right word, but it's all about how we're free and Hashem freed us when really Hashem like enslaves, enslaves us. us every single day. Okay. So. That's this is, yeah. this is exactly where I want to get that to. Kind of like, so I'm gonna go back there. Okay. That, yeah. All right. So let's do that um, very quickly because that the truth is this is really just a segue. Um, this conversation was more of a segue to just begin talking about the seder. What I was told to do tonight was to give you um, some information so that you could run and have a meaningful seder. While I think that this kind of a conversation is something that you should totally, if you can, if you have a family that would appreciate this, if you could. Again, remember, Pesach is all about Seder. It's all about being organized. If you spend a little bit of time preparing for the actual Seder, I promise you your family will have a very different experience. I'm going to speak about freedom in a minute. But again, if you want to have a meaningful Seder, all you have to do is spend a little bit of time preparing. Print up the, this. this you, could easier, you could either, what you could do is, another way of doing this, by the way, is putting them into small cards. And if you have um, seven people in your family, give them put one in each Haggadah or put them at the front. So they all know, and you could ask them to each debate, and each one's going to take their perspective and explain from their point of view. Or you could give them all seven and have the conversation we're having right now. But the whole function of the Seder is for us to talk about concepts. What does it mean to be free? What does it mean to, be, to, have, to have lived in Egypt? To, we're supposed to feel like we were actually living in Egypt. How do I do that when I'm sitting in 2015, surrounded by the luxuries of my home, my nice big fat leather plush chair, my big pillow, and my like eight course meal that Nelly's working right now so hard to prepare. It better be good. And uh, no, it's always going to be good. She's amazing. Uh, you're all welcome for Shabbat. Those of you who have not been there, you're missing out. You're totally missing out. Okay? Um, but, um, but like how do we, like, how do we, how do we, how do we experience real slavery when we're living in America 2015? And then when we talk about, okay, slavery, fine. Okay, slavery, maybe I can't really understand slavery. I can think about it mentally. Well, what does freedom mean? Freedom mean? How, do, how does freedom relate to me today? We're, are we more free today than people were 100 years ago, or 30 years ago, or maybe 1,000 years ago, or are we more enslaved? How does freedom operate? And the truth is, we, we could have a whole other conversation if you invite me back. I will do a whole class on the philosophy of freedom, and how freedom operates, and the complications of freedom, and so on and so forth, and even talk about freedom in politics, and how that works as well. The social contract, and what we, how we give up some of our freedoms to have some freedom. But I can just say very quickly, very briefly, that the truth is that freedom doesn't really exist. It's an illusion. You are going to be a slave to something. And the, and the, the question is um, that Natasha asked was, well, I, I thought you were going to go a little differently. I thought you were going to say, well, why are we celebrating our freedom when it's God that put us actually in Egypt and he's responsible for enslaving us? Why should I be thanking him for freeing me when he put me in Egypt for the, in the first place. Right, that's where I thought you were going at first. But your, your question is a, is a fair question also, right? Good question, right? Yeah, I'm thanking you. It's because of you I was there. You put me there. Why should I thank you? Like, what was your problem? Like, you didn't have to go there. You want to teach me a concept about, you know, like slavery and freedom? Then talk to me about it. Sit me down. Have a campfire like Moses. You know, we could chill. You tell some stories. Make some tinkly stars come down. Angels will sing their harps and whatever it is. And we'll play their songs. And talk to me about it. I have to go through the whole entire slavery of Egypt, depending on which opinions you, opinion you take. It's either a 400-year slavery or a 210-year slavery. Yes? 
I don't feel oppressed by any of it. I don't think of any of it as being oppressive, and I don't think of it as being a, a servitude in the same way that you mentioned before. I don't, and I'll explain. I'll explain why. Maybe it's like the whole conundrum or whatever we're yeah. experiencing. The paradox is, um, of freedom is uh, like the English word of freedom. Like, what's the Hebrew word of freedom? I feel like it probably is different than the English word that we like think of it. That's as. a very tricky. That's a very tricky way of getting to the answer. But okay, you're on the right track. So there are different expressions of, of freedom. When you, th- when you talk about freedom, anyone, can anyone speak Hebrew? What words, what words uh, if you want to say someone's free? Chofesh. Right? Okay, to be free. Okay, there's another word called dror. Like dror yikra. Right, dror is a, is a form of liberty. You shall proclaim liberty to the nations of the world. Like it says in the Liberty Bell. Right? That's from, uh, they got that from... Leviticus 22.2, I think, or 6. Uh, but it's in there, it's in that, it's coming up soon. Um, so those are two words. There's another word called Kheirut, which is freedom. Another word for freedom. And the truth is, is that, you know, what's interesting is that there's a famous, famous Midrash um, in, in Exodus, in Shemot Rabbah, which speaks about um, when Moses brings down the tablets, stone tablets, from uh, his 40 days stay in Hotel God, and uh, he comes back down, he's got these four tablets, and it says that, uh, the verse says that the tablets, were, the tablets were engraved with that finger of God, God engraved these tablets, these stone tablets, and had his word. The word for engraved is karut, engravement. So the Midrash says, I think it's a Gemara also, it says, don't read the word karut, engraved, but Ella, rather, karut, freedom. It's one of these like Jewish things. You take a word, you manipulate it a little bit. Nah, don't say it like this. Say it like that. It's okay, right? But there's, a, there's, a, there's. They're trying to teach you a deep truth. What, what are the ten commandments really about? What are commandments? What's that? Okay. What are mitzvot? What is what is what does the word mitzvah mean? Connection. Connection. What else does it mean? comes from the word litzvot, a commandment. Right, it's a command. Okay, the Ten Commandments. I command you. So they enslave you. Ah, do they enslave you? That's the question. I mean... First of all, are all the Ten Commandments commands? I am Hashem your God. What's that? I am Hashem your God. I am Hashem your God, is that a commandment? No, trick question. So the first, the truth is, the first of the Ten Commandments is not a command. It's actually a debate, like everything amongst the rabbis. It is a, it's a debate whether or not it is a statement or a commandment. I know Keshem Lokecha, it doesn't sound like a command. It's a precursor to all of mitzvah. If you don't believe in God, there's no point in having a conversation. Don't talk to someone about keeping the laws of Shabbat if they don't believe in God. You're wasting your time. How could you keep Shabbat? Shabbat for you is this, and Shabbat for me is that. Da, da, da. Don't have a conversation. 
If you don't believe in God, there's no point in having a conversation about Shabbat. There's no point in having a conversation about the laws of Passover if someone doesn't believe in God. All of this could only make sense if we believe in a God. So now, that's the key to kind of dealing with this whole freedom or not freedom thing. Okay? If you believe there's a God, then you believe that all of reality is an expression of His will. His will. Okay? And that means that there is a, uh, there's a method, there's a, there's, a, there's a scientific way even of living life. So now, once you've accepted there's a God, when God says, keep Shabbat, is that a commandment? Or let me say it a little differently, okay? Um, gosh, I'm thinking about it. It's so funny. My, my, um, this, this Pesach is going to be the 18th Passover Seder that I've had with my wife. Okay? And um, it wasn't um, the first Passover that I spent with her before we got engaged. We were having a hard time debating if we should get engaged or not. And um, um, we decided that we would spend the first days in her family's house and the second days in my family's house. And then at the end of it, if we couldn't come up to any conclusion about whether or not we should get engaged, we should take a week off and then come, and if we couldn't figure that out, then end the whole thing right there. So this is like a very tense time for me. Just talking about it gives me goosebumps. But um, I remember, I remember, um, you know, going through this whole Passover experience, going there with a the family, and like, so like now, there's when you're with a person, you're dating, right? There's certain things that you want to do because you know this is the thing that this person likes. Okay, she likes, you know, it. She likes when some people like flowers. Some people hate flowers. Nalini does not like flowers. She likes flowers now, but she doesn't like them then. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, she she wanted, she's super organized, so she likes things to be done in a very methodical way. So when now, I knew this about her when I was dating her. I'm very good at reading people. I'm very fast at picking things up, which is good and bad. It's good because I get to know how to respond to people. It's bad because when you're younger, you can use it to manipulate a lot of people also. Um, <laughs> but um, but um, I'm just being honest. Um, and um, so if I know that someone needs to be handled in a particular way, okay, and I'm doing what they want, is that a, am I, I, I want to do that for them because I care about them and I want them to know that I care about them and therefore I'm going to respond to them in a way that would suit them best. Okay, I'm not doing anything to go ahead, and it, should, it could be maybe I would not respond in a particular way, I wouldn't do things the way that, you know, she would want them done, I would do it a little differently, but because I know she likes them this particular way, I want to make her happy. Am I enslaved? Am I enslaved? Am I enslaved? You know what I'm saying? Like, it depends on how you, depends on how you want to look at it. So yeah, and so I'm like, yeah, well, technically, you're whipped, you know, like, you do what you want, and, you know, you're, you are where you are, but like, I, 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 you could say that, but I have a choice. I don't have to do it that way. I could just do things my way, and if she doesn't like it, let her get on the highway. It's done. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I see the, the connection you're trying to make with the things you chose to go out with, with your wife. Yes, wife. I did. But as Jews, you can't choose not to believe in God. Yes, you can. <laughs> but, but Most Jews don't. <laughs> that's fine. That's and, that's, and, that's, and you know what? I want you to know, every single day, when I respond to my wife, there's a right way of responding to her, and there's a wrong way of responding to her. That's my choice. Right, but, but, it, but it's different because... No, it's not... I, by the way, I grew I chose to be religious. I didn't grow up like this. 
<laughs> it was a choice. It was a choice. It's a choice for us, right? Is it, a, is, is it a choice or if you're presented with a certain series of information? I think it's a choice. So ultimately, at the end of the day, it's a choice. It's always a choice. There are plenty of people that have... Yeah. You ignore it. You don't want to believe it. There's a little bit of doubt. There's not enough for you to take that leap of faith. I know plenty of people will say to me, hey, this is so good. If it had a little bit more there, I could take that leap. I just can't take it. I'm not going to take it. I don't want it. Or I believe God came out to me and tapped me on the shoulder and said, go do it. You know, like, people need different kinds of things. And the truth is, by the way, the same is true in the relationship, God willing. You find that guy with a special twinkle in his eye, okay, and you're ready to uh, go ahead and make your uh, commitment. Some of you are going to be like, well, how do I know there's enough here in this relationship that warrants me making this kind of a commitment? All right, how do I know that there's enough here for me to go ahead and, like, give my, 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 my life away to this person and share everything with them for the rest of my life? How do I know? And the answer is you don't. There's going to be a leap of faith. This is true with every decision we make. The atheist, the agnostic, has to make a leap of faith. Okay? We all make leaps of faith all the time. That's just the way it is. We don't know anything 100%, because truth is something that can only exist in the here and the now. The second we walk away from the here and the now, it ceases to exist. It's gone. And we have these moments and elements of truth, and we see them, and they're clear to us, and then they, they're gone. And we have to kind of, like, fight to relive, reconnect to those emotions, those ideas, the vision, the clarity, right? Inspiration works exactly the same way. It comes and it goes. You've got to fight for it. Now, so the truth is that no one's really free. And that's exactly what the Luchot were telling us. Don't read them as they were engraved. Read them as you're free. Because now you know exactly what you need to do. Who's free? Someone who has no clue how to play the game or someone who has all the instructions? Who's more free? The person who does not know how to play the game or someone who has all the instructions? No? Tell me. Why? Is that, is that, why? Is that a bad example? He's more free? Why do you think he's free? Okay, but can you play without rules? Not the person direction, or you don't know what you're doing. Isn't the person who's free the person who can define the game the way they want? I don't. I, that's my that's my point. No. So you need it's to, like saying that you need to know. You need like guidelines. You have to have the parameters, and then you yeah. Yeah, yeah, but the person but who's most free is the person who defines the game themselves. But you can only define but the game if you know the rules, because yeah. else it's not a game. It's not Otherwise a game. It's you can't, it is you, a game. It's your own game. No, but, but, but you're not... But you're not you're, you're you have not, to know what the goal is, and then you have to figure out how to get there. You could do, have to be a goal. You could do... No, you're right. There's, you could do. You could have that approach, but that person's not free. That person is slave to his own self-desires and interests. Like, there's always going to be something. The Torah is saying that you're going to be a slave to something in this world. It's impossible not to be a slave to something. Okay? We're all going to be a slave to something. So Moshe comes down with a stone tablets. He says, no, now you finally have freedom because this is the Ratzon, this is the will of the Almighty. Think about it like a maze. You have to get to the end of the maze. If you don't have the directions, you'll never get there. So then if you don't have the directions, you're not free at all. That's another way. That's very nice. This might be a different way to forget it. Good answer. Good answer. <laughs> okay, good answer. Another way of looking at it. I mean, the person could wander and wander until they stumble upon it. 
things down. So that's a You could, and some people do that. And then you, you have that, 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 that clarity. But again, the point that I'm making is that freedom, in its complete totality, in the sense of full work freedom, does not really exist. Okay, all of us are going to be subject to something. When we think about mitzvot and Torah, okay, the idea of Passover as being fully free means that humanity now has the ability to tap into the will of the Almighty. If we think about the universe as being an expression of God's will, his consciousness, then the whole entire purpose of uh, Passover, the part of the celebration of this freedom, is that now we know what he wants us to do. So how do we begin celebrating this, his, celebrating his desire of what he wants for humanity? Remember, his want for humanity isn't about me losing my freedom. It's about me getting a closer... Um, uh, it's about me getting closer to, uh, to the ultimate level of truth and ultimate freedom. That is what I'm here to do. When I get up in the morning and I put on my shoes and my right foot first, and then my left foot, you know, and then I tie my left shoelace, and then I tie my right shoelace, and then I stand up, I wash my hands, I go ahead and make my brachot, and so on and so forth, so am I a slave? I don't think of myself as a slave. I see myself as being part of a system that enables me to experience true freedom. You're going to the gym, okay? You want to, uh, you want to exercise, you have your goals, you want to be able to lift, you know, you want to be able to do a 200-pound deadlift. So uh, you have to, in order to have that goal, to, in order for you to reach that goal, you have to go through the stages of preparing yourself. You can't start at 200 pounds, you've got to start at about 50 pounds, 25 pounds, you start doing the exercise, you do the stretches, and eventually, you get to do your, you know, after months and months and months of preparation, you have your 200-pound lift, okay? What is the end game? What are we trying to accomplish? Isn't the difference there that you've then defined the game yourself? We didn't define the game. Well, you went ahead. Well, well let's so say you like set this. the goals for yourself. Yeah, you set the goals for yourself. But don't, don't we all have shared goals here? Do you want to live a happy life? Do you want to lead a meaningful life? So at some point, we'll all agree there are certain goals that we all share. Well, how do I get there? I can't define it for myself as a process. You can't decide for yourself, well, you know, if I want to go ahead and be this, you know, this heavyweight deadlifter, I'm going to figure out my own way of getting there. You could, but there's a system of muscles that need to be developed before you get to 200 pounds, right? So how we get there at the end, you know, do you want to become Hasidic? Do you want to become Chabad? Do you want to be Sephardic? Do you want to be Ashkenaz? <laughs> Breslov, you know, Israeli, whatever it is, you figure out your own way. You know, uh, there's different paths. But ultimately, the goal is exactly the same. Right? We all want to live a life of meaning and truth. Okay? Passover is the celebration of humanity having the ability to understand what that meaning and truth is. This is all Dara Hashem, the Ramchal, from Moshe Chaim Lazato. Okay, now, um, freedom is an illusion in a nutshell. No such thing as true freedom. You are going to pick and choose uh, what you want to be a slave to. You might as well be a slave to something that's going to allow you to have the ultimate freedom or the ultimate meaning in life. How do I answer the question about being a slave? Like, oh God... You put me in Egypt, why should I thank you for our freedom? Well, one way of dealing with it is that um, it's true that he put us uh, in, uh, in Egypt to be a slave. Um, but we believe that God is just, we believe that God is kind and he is good, and therefore everything that he does is perfect. Okay? And um, if the slavery was necessary for our development, then it's something we needed to go through. What, what Egypt taught us was how to serve. What Egypt taught us was how to follow the rules. The Sons of Rebbe tells us that the Jewish people are the most difficult people on planet Earth 
and that if we would not have had the Torah and its rules and its mitzvot, we would have been lost and destroyed and wiped off the face of the planet. And the reason why we, the choosing or the choosing people, the people that chose God ultimately, because that's really what happened, Naseh, we're the ones that said Naseh and Ishma, we're the ones that chose God, God didn't choose us, we said we'll do it, we'll come and we'll accept this, okay? But it's that attitude of like, yeah, just, just give it to me, we'll take it, let's see what it's about, we'll figure out how to make it work, okay, that can be very positive, but it can be very destructive. Jews can be the source of a tremendous amount of bracha, or they could be the source of a tremendous amount of, of, uh, of destruction, of kala, of, of just horrible, horrific things, and we see that in the world that we live in today, right? Jews can be the greatest allies to the world, or the, uh, the worst people on planet Earth. Potential to build, have to have an equal potential to go ahead and destroy, okay? So Passover is about me achieving freedom. And what we're supposed to be thinking about on Passover is what are the things that hold me or you personally back from achieving your freedom, right? When I do every year, when we, uh, part of, um, you know, before we actually get to the Seder, we go ahead and we do something called B'digat Chametz. We put out those 10 pieces of bread. Some people get the uh, candle and the feather and the spoon, or you get the flashlight and, you know, uh, and your, and your tinfoil, the challah pieces or pita pieces, whatever you use. We use pita because they can use less crumbs if anything falls out, you don't have to worry about it. Um, what's that? Yeah, so um, that's not a good idea. Anyway, so I can't take credit for it. Um, and um, you know, we collect all this, and the next morning, we wake up, we go to synagogue, and then we just go to my backyard, and I start a fire. Okay, it's called, we burn the chametz, okay? If you go to Bar Park, you'll see Hasidim lighting garbage cans, they're not protesting. Okay, don't worry about it, they're not rioting or anything like that. They're just burning their chametz. Okay? Now, so what's with the burning of the chametz? Okay, well, number one is that there's a certain time uh, on the eve of Passover to get rid of all chametz. But the reason why we burn the chametz is remember, chametz represents the bloatiness, uh, the, uh, the arrogance of man. Chametz represents the things that hold me back from achieving my true perfection in this world. So what I do is, instead of just burning my chametz and saying, okay, I gotcha you're dead, you're burnt, you're destroyed, right? What I do is, I will write a list of uh, three to ten things that I think are holding me back this year from achieving my perfection. It could be an attitude, it could be, you know, the way I think, something I'm struggling with as far as an idea, it could be a relationship, it could be anything. And I, I try to not just, I try to spend some time being reflective. I really want to go ahead and be great. What's holding me back? If I could point something these are the few things that are holding me back. I'll write on a sheet of paper. I'll put it. I'll, I'll crumble it up. But I'll put it with the bread because the bread is the symbolic. It's very symbolic of my ego. Okay. And when I cast it into the fire, I imagine as if those parts of me that are uh, holding me back are, are are gone. And this is my beginning stages, my rehabilitation to true freedom. Okay. So uh, we get to the seder. Okay. We get to the seder. The seder has uh, yes. Quick question. Sure. So, if represents arrogance and ego, then why is it only one week out of the year that we don't eat something? So why don't we just not, what, like, don't we just ban it? That's a good question. Um, we don't, why we don't ban it? Well, you're very sensitive to this because of your condition, but um, she's celiac, and, um, and so, so she, she actually <laughs> hates <laughs> okay, because uh, it causes, she gets violently ill, if she does, no, I'm not sure violently, but anyway, it makes you yeah. sick, but that's uh, a good question, so I, I don't have a good answer for you, I'll tell you like this, there is something to be said about, you know, um, 
having contrast. We need to have contrast. Without contrast, we don't learn. So my first answer is because of contrast, number one. Number two is that um, matzah is not a very convenient food. Okay? Yes? Well, I just, like, I feel like how can bread be bad all the time if we're commanded to, like, the whole mitzvah of challah is that, like, we're commanded to have bread. So it's, it's a positive, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. The, the, the idea of, the idea of, uh, of the, the truth is, is that, you know, Sephardim can't make hamotzi on, uh, on matzah during the year. Right? Ashkenazim can. So you don't have to have challah. Ashkenazim can eat matzah all, you know, like the all year round, except for 30 days before Pesach, you can't have it. Okay? But in theory, Ashkenazim can eat matzah all year round and make hamotzi on it. You don't have to have bread. Okay? For Sephardim, it's a little different. It's a little bit more complicated. Sephardim, we need to, we can't, we make mizonot. After Passover, the, uh, the, uh, the matzah becomes mizonot for us. It's like a cracker. Okay? So we don't make hamotzi and we don't wash anymore. But, um, and the reason for that is because I think that the real essence of, of the bracha, which we're going to get to a little later, we're skipping now, is that, what, think about what, what, what's the bracha that we're making? Hamotzi lechem min ha'aretz. What does that translate into? Hamotzi, the one that takes out, that draws out, lechem, bread from the earth. Is that true? Did God take out the bread from the earth? We're blessing God for taking out the, the bread from the earth. Did he do that? No, I think not. Right? I did that. Actually, I didn't. My farmer did. And then he sent it to the baker, and the baker, and then I bought it. And I did that. Right? So, what's the bracha for? Hamosi lechem in ha'aretz. You say this all the time. You're making going Shabbat, and hamosi lechem in ha'aretz. Right? Well, why are you saying, why are you saying that? Like, you didn't take anything out of the earth, so what's the bracha for? But the idea is that there's a process. Okay? Jews love process. Okay? This, there's a process. Okay, and we are, we did not uh, involve ourselves in uh, actually creating the wheat. But as Jews, we want to be appreciative of the fact that in order to have this piece of bread, you have to pull it out of the earth, literally. I'm not just, it's, an, it's not a finished product. This is such a beautiful example. We're so removed from the process, right? Like you ask a kid, where does milk come from? Judah, I go to Judah today, uh, it was last, yesterday, I took like an, an empty like, milk carton. He's like, Dad, Abba, what are you doing with that carton? I'm like, I got to get, get more milk. He's like, where? Where he has no clue. Like I'm like I'm like I'm gonna go I'm gonna go find a cow. I went through the whole thing. Like I'm gonna find a cow, and he's I'm gonna squeeze his udders and squeeze milk out of it, and you know I'm gonna put it in there. I'm gonna carry it back home. Blah blah blah. Just like he's like, wow. He's like, that's so amazing. Because I didn't want the thing. You just go to the store and just pick up milk. Like I, he has to understand that like there's a what's that? I was I was recycling the milk can. <laughs> But I wanted, like, for him, like, it's just a world of infinite possibilities. Like, wow, that's so cool. Like, that's what you do. So, um, so it was just an educational lesson for him. Like, just don't think that milk just comes from the store. There's a process that we're involved in. Hamotzi is the ultimate process. Everything that you own, your clothing, there's so many steps that go into making these pants, your, 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 your shirts, your skirts, your pants, your, your shoes. There's so much that go into it but we don't think about it, and therefore we lack a level of appreciation. So Hamotzi is all about appreciating. I appreciate the process. Yes? I feel like our ancestors had a much clearer understanding of process. Oh, for sure. So in a way, they were less enslaved we than we are, are now. We are, no in, in many ways, they are, I would argue, I would agree with you, that in many ways they are less enslaved, because they have, a, they have uh, to me, um, you know, freedom has to do with uh, the more truth you have, the more free you are. 
So the most, the, the person who was the most free on planet Earth would have been Moses, okay? And Adam and Eve were the most free people that ever lived on the planet. And the greatest, the greater the prophet, the greater that clarity, the more the freedom. Okay, and the people that lack that clarity and the people that struggle to connect to that clarity are the ones that are most enslaved. Okay? Um, but yeah, no question about it. We are completely disconnected from that process and therefore we don't fully, uh, we, don't, we don't get the, uh, the whole, process, the whole uh, idea of, uh, of real freedom. So that's part of why we say combos. Okay, let's go on now. There are a bunch of themes. I'm going to speak about two themes quickly and then we'll go through the whole entire Seder in less than 10 minutes. Okay, and then I'll take your questions, and then we'll call it an evening. I'll stick around for questions okay, after that as well. Okay, Mark. There are four different expressions of, of um, redemption that is mentioned in the Torah. Hotzati etchem, itzalti etchem, ka'alti etchem. We have lakachti etchem. These are the four expressions. I took you out, I delivered you, I redeemed you, and I will take you to myself. These four expressions are what we're actually celebrating on Passover. So we think about four on Passover, what comes to mind? The what? The four cups. The four cups of wine represent these four different expressions of redemption. They also represent something more. Right? What else? Sons. The four sons. Excellent. What else does it represent? Matriarchs. The matriarchs. And four are the mothers, and three are the fathers, and two are the tablets that Moses brought, broke, right? And one is a sham, one is a sham, one is a sham. And the head is on the said, Ah. Anyway. Anyway, okay, fine. So, um, so um, anyway, so um, four represents the matriarchs. Okay? The matriarchs, okay? Um, the matriarchs um, have one unifying theme, and they represent the ability of keeping things alive. They represent the ability of keeping things, um, keeping um, the foundational principles of Judaism alive. They are the ultimate defense mechanism. Whenever, whenever Judaism is threatened, the mothers are the ones that come out and help defend it. Okay, we see that when uh, Yitzchak is threatened by Ishmael, Sarah is the protector. She's the defender. With uh, Rivka, she goes ahead and picks out Esav and protects Yaakov. Um, Rachel and Leah both warn um, Yaakov about Lot and his evil plans. They're the ones that stand up, and they're here to preserve. Preservation is what the Imaot do. That is their power, that is their strength. And their power is parallel to these four cups. These idea of redemption, they're the preservers. Now think about it. Now if I were to ask you the following question, what was the... Um, what, what merit did the Jews, uh, what, what, what were the merits that enabled the Jews to be free from Egypt? So you'll tell me they preserved their name, they preserved their dress, they preserved their language. But the truth is, is that those things just helped preserve their identity. It wasn't what merited us to free ourselves from Egypt. You know what merited us to get out of Egypt? Exactly. Right. Why is that so powerful? Want to have, would you want to raise a child in Egypt? Would you want to give birth? And something would be destroyed. So it was like their hope for like that they were that Hashem was going to take them out. Having children meant that they had this faith that their children would grow 
Exactly. It's something that we, again, are so disconnected from, this idea of hope and faith. We live in a generation where we're, we, we are, we live in a world where people are always thinking about taking. And therefore, there isn't enough water in the world, there's never enough oxygen in the world, there's not enough resources in the world. You know that the whole entire human race could fit into California? Seven billion people could fit into California. You'd be standing near each other, but we'd all be there. Just to give you an idea of how much space there is on planet Earth, okay? That's how many people, uh, we, 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 we live in a world where we are always concerned about ourselves. But if we live in a world like our matriarchs did, where it was all about preservation, it was about giving, it was about hope, it was about <coughs> this idea of having real ultimate faith in the process of preserve, preserving these ideals and goals of life. Women are life bringers. And they understood that it was their goal, their, it was their, their power to bring life and continuity to the world. They never wanted to give that up. It's their merit that we drink the wine. The wine is represented by transition, moving us from one state to another state. How do I know that? Because the Hebrew word for wine is? Yayin. Yayin has a numerical value. Yayin is spelled yud, yud, nun. Yud is 10, times 2 is 20, and nun is 50, which is total of 50 plus 20 equals 70. What is 70? 70 is 10 units of 7. 10 in Judaism is the first whole unit. Okay? Spiritually, you have different pieces coming together again. Say the same thing with every number, but 10 is why we need a minion. First number, a whole unit. Okay? It's the first whole unit in our number system, in the, in the spiritual uh, number systems. So 7 is the ultimate number of transition, because just like Shabbat moves us from the mundane work week into the holiness of Shabbat, 7 is the ultimate expression of transition. So Yayin is the ultimate, ultimate expression of transition. 10 times 7, okay, is the ultimate expression of transition. So we use wine to move ourselves from one place to another place. So we start with Kiddush every single Friday night, transitioning ourselves from one place to another place. The, the, uh, you're having a, uh, a simcha, a wedding, wine. Having your seder, transitioning ourselves from one place to another place. Holiness of, uh, of Passover, uh, from, the, from the mundane week into the holiness of Passover. Okay? That is wine. Now there's another theme, there's one more theme that we have. Aside from the wine, there's another thing that's very important, that has numbers to it, is number three. What does number three represent? The patriarchs, the fathers, right? What else is three? And don't say the Son, the Holy Ghost, and the Father. <laughs> because that's what they do. This okay, you could do that, yes. But what else is three regarding the uh, Seder? The three Matzot. Okay, three Matzot. <coughs> the, the three Matzot is also um, has to do with the, the patriarchs. The first Matzot is Avraham. Chesed. It also represents the coin. Okay, the coin's job is to elevate the physical into the spiritual. That's what, that's what he is supposed to do. That's what the first matzah is a symbolic of. The second matzah is Yitzvah, which is Din. Right? It is also Levi. has a power to say no, the ability to be completely committed. By the way, this is the matzah that we break. Right? Din, the judgment, is what we break. It's also, it's broken 
but it's 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 reunited at the end um, at the uh, Achikomen. You have the last is Yaakov, which is truth, and that's the ability to relate to reality, which is something that we desperately need today. The ability to relate to reality. These are the, these are the basic themes. Just have aware. That's something that you're going to see throughout the whole entire uh, Pesach. If you're just thinking about the four cups, you're thinking about the Imaot, preservation, power preservation. You're thinking about transition. Okay, you know the sages tell us that um, when the wine goes in, the secrets come out. Nifnas yan Right? You want to hear the truth? Wine is an amazing way of getting it out of people. Lots of it. And the matzot, of course, is a big theme also. Again, patriarchs, each matzah is symbolic of something else. And, uh, and that's it. Okay. Let's start the actual... Any questions before we move on? What time is it? Am I very, very late? Do I have ten minutes? It's up to you guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. All right, so let's do this, okay? I'm going to do this quickly. Okay, so um, we start the Haggadah with, first of all, very simple. Haggadah means to tell. The Seder means order, okay? Pesach means, uh, if you break it up into uh, word, into two words, Pe is mouth, Sach is speak, the mouth that speaks. Paro is para, evil mouth, Okay, uh, we're trying to undo what Paro did with, into us in Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim comes to the word metza, which means constricted. To live a myopic life, that is what slavery is. Living in a world of falsehood is slavery. Thinking that your reality is one way when in fact it's another way. Thinking that, um, that happiness will come from the, the grades you get in college or the money you make at work is a form of Egypt slavery in the 21st century. And the freedom is recognizing it and doing what we need to be doing, which is developing ourselves as human beings. Judaism is not a religion in the same way that you think of other religions. Judaism is a system for people that want to lead and live a meaningful life. That's what Judaism is. It's for people that want truth, because it is the ultimate expression of reality. Kaddish is the beginning, Kiddush. We just spoke about Kiddush. Okay, very simple. We're recognizing that we're unique. This is something very, very Kaddish. It also has to do with the fact that we are Kodesh, holy. What does holiness mean, if you could explain it in one word? How would you say, what would you say holiness means? Holiness means to be separate. To set something aside, you make it holy, you make it special. So we start with Kodesh. Not only is this moment Kodesh, but we are creating a space where we're separating ourselves from the world around us, even ourselves, so we're going to elevate this moment in time and make it holy, make it special. We start with, with uh, Kodesh is Kiddush. Orchats, okay? We're going to go ahead and wash our hands. Why do we wash our hands right here, right now? We're not making a bracha on the, uh, on the matzah, but we wash our hands. Why do we wash our hands? Whenever Jews touch anything that is, any vegetable or fruit that is wet, you're supposed to wash your hands like you would for bread. Don't make a brach on it. So if you're in a restaurant and you were sitting at the table and you saw a sour pickle that looked really nice and crunchy, you're like, hmm, give me some, and you grabbed it, you could, but you're supposed to wash your hands. And the reason for this, actually, according to halacha, is that water draws out impurity. And therefore, you want to clean your hands of any impurities, okay? Like this, when you have the sour pickle, there's nothing to worry about your hands. You could have it, and you don't have to worry about your, the pickle drawing the impurity out of your hand. Okay? And it's true for anything that's wet. 
well, wait, what's happening is you're eating the pickle, and now you're putting it in your hand, and you've drawn the impurity from your hand into the pickle, and now you're eating the pickle. You don't want to get yourself into that kind of a pickle. So now, orchats, okay, so uh, you pour over your hands, don't make the bracha. Okay, no bracha. Karpas, we dip a small amount of vegetable in salt water, and then we eat it. Okay, I'm not going to go into the whole entire, we're not going to go into all the symbolism of everything over here, but very simply over here, the karpas is also reminiscent of the sale of Yosef. Karpas was another name for his, the special jacket that the tunic of fine wool that Yaakov gave him. And we're supposed to be thinking about this over here because this was a precursor to getting us into Egypt. If the brothers did not sell Joseph and send them to Egypt, we would have never ended up there. So we think about this in the kar- karpas. Yachat, we break the middle matzah. We spoke about before, the two pieces. Leave a small one on the plate, putting the other one aside. This has to do with the fact that we were broken in Egypt. We went through uh, our own uh, slavery. The bondage broke our body, our spirit, the spirit of our ancestors. And in some ways, it also reminds us of how we ourselves are incomplete and somewhat broken. So the symbolism over there is for you, again, don't just walk through the Seder. Imagine it being real. Take a moment and meditate on the fact that you were locked away in a dungeon where you had no freedom. Not only the freedom to choose, but like in the, in the, in the stories, that are the seven cases that I gave you in the freedom game, I'm talking not even the ability to think. No freedom to think. No, no, no freedom in, in mind. Okay? We're broken people. That is what the breaking of the middle matzah is symbolic of. Magid. Tell the story of the bondage from uh, Exodus to Egypt. This is the longest and the most central part of the whole entire uh, telling of the Haggadah story. Uh, and it is the one that you want to get the children most involved in. Remember, the part of the, of the uh, function of the Seder is to get everyone involved in the conversation. So if you can't handle like a normal Seder, I actually wrote up a list of the most essential things that need to be said to the Seder. So if you need to fast forward the whole entire Seder and you want to not worry about, hey, do I do, actually do the Seder? Do I, do I get the brownie points for like, doing the Seder? And, not, and I want to make sure that like, I didn't skip the wrong piece places and I need to get the right things in. This is a list of all the things you need to do. I'll email it to all of you if you want it, or I'll give you my last copy here. Uh, but it's yours. Okay, I'm not going to go through it. It's just very simple. It's straight out. I actually, com- last year for Sold, I composed the essential Haggadah. So what I did was I actually took out all these pieces, and I think it's like 15 pages, and it's all there. You just go straight through it. And if you just do this, you can fill the mitzvah of the telling the Haggadah story at the Seder. Okay? Just be aware of that. You don't have to do the whole, you don't feel like you're enslaved at the actual Seder, but make sure it's meaningful. Okay. Rachza, uh, this is where we wash our hands for preparing for the actual eating of the matzah. Okay. Now remember, what's the bracha we make when we wash our hands? What does that mean? Gold. It means on the raising of the hands. Al, on, netilat, raising, yadayim, the hands. So I thought all these years I was making a bracha on washing my hands. And the truth is, all this time I've been saying on the raising of the hands. Why am I raising my hands? Ah, you're elevating your hands. You're elevating yourself. Through cleansing. Yes. Yes. When you make the when you, you do to here, you'll make the barakat, you'll wash your hands, okay? Remember that in Judaism we start everything with the right, from the right to the left. 
Okay, Spartan do it three times. Ashkenazim do it two times. Um, you will start with the right represents kindness. The left again is din. This is the first matzah, the middle matzah, and the uh, the spine is Yaakov, which is truth, or Tiferet, the synthesis, bringing these two pieces, the right and left, together. We always start with the right, we move to the left. So you can see that again as being a slave to the process, or an opportunity to elevate life and make it meaningful. That's your choice. I see it as meaning. You know, again, like in the same way that like, you know, I want to make my spouse happy, because it makes her happy, and she's happy, happy wife, happy life. So, um, you know, if she's happy, then I'm happy. But most importantly, I just really want to make her happy. And I, I feel like you can transition and have that kind of a love affair with God as well. You can ha- transition yourselves to a place where you are thinking about everything you're doing is, hey, this is what he likes. I'll do it for him like that. Or, you know, like, and, and the more and more you get involved in the process of developing the relationship with the mitzvah, you understand that you're really developing a relationship with God. This is how, the mitzvah are not just arbitrary ideas that God wants you to do. The mitzvot are there to help you develop this deep connection with the Almighty. Okay? So you are making the bracha al-natil yidayim because your hands are involved in the physical world more so than anything else in your body. Okay? And therefore, we want to ensure that this thing that you're about to do right now, this whole concept of eating bread and putting it in your face, okay, is not a mundane act. And therefore, we're going to remind ourselves right now that al-natil yidayim, on the raising of the hands, I have the ability to raise up this moment, this whole process, and say there's something more powerful here than just eating the bread. Okay? I'm thinking of the process like we spoke about before, how motzi lechem in haaretz. But I begin by raising, my hand, raising the hands. Okay? Um, after we make the hamotzi, we make the, uh, the, we break the matzis eaten. Remember, we eat reclining towards your left. Okay? Not to your right, because you'll choke. Okay? Uh, yes, your, your food's you swallow on your left side. You breathe on your right side. Okay? Um, matzah is uh, there's a Torah obligation to eat the matzah on the night uh, and reclining um, and um, the matzah is symbolic of the uh, fast uh, the haste that we, in which we have to leave Egypt from we were created the first fast food item ever okay we're responsible for that okay we have to get out of, we have to get out of uh, Egypt quickly and we made our matzahs um, another fun fact is and this is, this is actually up for debate but in my home, we believe that Jews invented pizza. Um, if you're Sephardic, you know that uh, pizza is round and it's soft, okay? And cheese was actually a very big staple uh, around uh, the Second Temple era. And um, we would take the matzah and sprinkle some cheese on it and throw it in the oven and eat it like that. The Romans came along and they loved this. They brought it back to Italy and they added tomato sauce. So we give them credit for the tomato sauce. But bulk of it was our idea, okay? Um, more, we eat bitter herbs. Why do we eat bitter herbs? Is it better to have a horseradish or lettuce for your more? Okay, everyone says that. Why? Why would you say that? You're right. That's the logical thing to say. Because more bitter and because what? You have a lettuce for what? Are you saying hemp? Oh, there's <laughs> I can't hear you. I don't know. You want to eat hemp? I don't know what's going on. Anyway, fine. So, so um, the truth is, is that radish, I don't know, uh, radish is, is more bitter, okay? But lettuce, what flavor does lettuce have? No flavor. And the truth is that the rabbis say that lettuce is actually more preferable than radish. 
okay, especially for Sephardic, that Ash- I think Ashkenazi customers have the radish, but the Sephardim do the lettuce because the lettuce has no flavor. And when you have nothing, that's worse than having something that's bitter. Okay? So uh, some people have lettuce, bitter herbs, symbolic the duality of the night. We recall the bondage of Egypt together with the glorious salvation that followed, and so on and so forth. Um, sorry, that was, uh, that was Karach. Marar is the bitter herbs. Um, it is also, uh, you know, Ray Wallerstein has this great parable. It's like a 45-minute class of just explaining why we eat Marar on Pesach. And in a nutshell, it's, a, it's part of reminding ourselves that we were slaves and that we were broken and bitter. Okay, it's the medicine that we need to take on Pesach to reconnect ourselves to that. Korach is a sandwich of matzah, right? It's the matzah and the bitter herbs. This is the symbolic of the duality I spoke about earlier. It recalls the bondage of Egypt together with the glorious salvation that followed. We're taught that um, the pain in the form of intensive toil and labor is also like a very integral part of a personal uh, and national growth. So while we see ourselves as being enslaved in Egypt, we also see the slavery as being somewhat responsible for our development. And the truth is, all challenge and difficulties are all part of that development as well. Not just uh, the Mitzrayim, but everything that we go through. We could speak about Mitzrayim right here, right now. The challenge you're going through today is part and parcel of this uh, uh, Mitzrayim that you're in right now. Tzafun means hidden. This is when we take out, um, this is the, the matzah, the half of the matzah is hidden. Later for the, uh, what's it called, for the Afikomen. And the reason why we do this over here is because we want basically to get the kids to ask the question, why is dad breaking up the matzah and why is he separating it apart and why is he putting it away? Um, at, the, at this point, you will have your meal. Hopefully it'll be yummy. Um, after that, we, we bench, we say halal, nirza is the conclusion, um, and we're done. That is a whole entire seder. Okay, easy shmeezy. Um, the rest of it is up to you. Pesach can be the most liberating experience in the world, or it could be a horrific uh, few hours of torture, but it really just depends on your point of view. If you see involvement in something that helps you develop a relationship with something greater as, uh, as enslavement, then yes, you'll have a hard time uh, appreciating the freedom that you actually had on Pesach. But if you see it as a way of connecting to the, to the essence of reality, then you're in a constant state of delight. Um, if you can, try to make sure that you sleep a little bit before Pesach, before the Seder. Actually, it's late. A lot of you, it's, uh, people get tired and get exhausted. And most importantly, if you spend literally 20 minutes, go to h.com, go to chabad.org, go somewhere. Prepare something that's a meaning for your Seder. Okay? 20 minutes of research. Okay? Print it out, read it out, whatever you got to do. It will transform your Passover experience. Not only for you, but for your family. If your families are not into it, then you have a responsibility of bringing something of depth and meaning to the Seder. You can do it. All it requires is a little bit of effort. Um, my hope and prayer is that each of you have a fantastic, wonderful, um, freeing uh, experience on Pesach. Uh, but more importantly, I, my, my bracha to you is that you recognize how it's in the details, the details of chametz, okay, getting rid of the chametz in our lives, 
it's in those kinds of details we find the, the beauty and intricacies of our relationship with God. Thank you so much. I apologize for the extra time. Great. Great.